0: Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. We're going to start with a pretty long reading from Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21, but you'll you'll recognize these stories probably, and the two stories are sandwiched together. You've got, you know, uh, kind of the bread on the outside of the sandwich and the meat in the middle, and uh, it's helpful if you kind of take a bite of the whole sandwich at one time. So we're going to read the whole section together, then we'll jump in and we'll break it apart. This starts in verse 21, of Mark chapter 5. Jesus crossed the lake again, and on the other side, a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. And, G- and Jairus, sorry, Jairus, one of the synagogue leaders, came forward. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded with him, here we go, my daughter is about to die. Please come and place your hands on her so that she can be healed and live. So, Jesus went with him. Now, a swarm of people were following Jesus, crowding in on him. A woman was there who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a lot under the care of many doctors and had spent everything she had without getting any better. In fact, she'd gotten worse. And because she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his clothes. And she was thinking, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Her bleeding stopped immediately. And she sensed in her body that her illness had been healed. Verse 30. At that very moment, Jesus recognized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, don't you see the crowd pressing against you? And you ask who touched me? But Jesus looked around carefully to see who'd done it. And the woman, full of fear and trembling, came forward knowing What had happened to her? And she fell down in front of Jesus and she told him the whole truth. And he responded, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, healed from your disease. This is, we're back in the bread now. While Jesus was still speaking with her, messengers came from the synagogue leader's house saying to Jairus, your daughters died. Why bother the teacher any longer? But Jesus overheard the report and he said to the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, just keep trusting or keep believing, keep having faith. He didn't allow anyone to follow him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. And they came to the synagogue leader's house and he saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and he said to them, what's all this commotion and crying about? The child isn't dead, she's only sleeping And they laughed at him, but he threw them all out. And then taking the child's parents and his disciples with him, he went into the room where the child was. And taking her hand, taking her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, young woman, get up. Suddenly the young woman got up. She began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And they were shocked. He gave them strict orders that no one should know what had happened. And then he told them, to give her something to eat. Uh, one of the joys of ministry, and yet sometimes the challenges, is that occasionally people will ask you the questions that they don't ask anyone else. And uh, you always dread that because you don't know what to say. I remember back. Well, over a decade ago, I was preaching at the Cottonwood Church of Christ. I've talked about Cottonwood before. On a good Sunday, we had about 12 people. And the great thing about those 12 people is that every Sunday after church, most Sundays, either we would have a potluck or one of those families or folks from the Cottonwood Church would take us to their home to eat or 10 miles down the road to Cross Plains, Texas, the metropolis where there is a subway and that's it. So I remember one Sunday morning, Lindsay and I go out to eat with one of the couples of this church. They're grandparents, late 60s, early 70s. And the woman begins to describe to me, growing up in church, she'd been around church her whole life, and and she starts asking me, based on that experience, and maybe based on something I said in the sermon, I don't recall, but she starts asking me questions about Jesus, And I'll never forget when the conversation takes this turn, I was not expecting. And she says, Eric and Lindsay, who's sitting beside me, she says, do you think Jesus really cares about women? That question caught me off guard. That's not the question I'm expecting. Now, I knew that she had been dealing with a health issue that was uniquely feminine she'd been dealing with that issue for a long time. You know, in a church of 12, there's not many secrets. And we we had prayed about it as a church. And, you know, at the time I was 22 or so, and I certainly didn't understand the details of this condition, but but we had joined her in praying about it. So I thought to myself, you know, maybe that's why she's asking this question. She's been praying about this condition for a long time, much like the woman in this story, the older of the two women who's had an illness that's uniquely feminine for a long time, and she hasn't been healed. And I I thought, maybe that's why. And so I asked her, is, is this why you're asking me that, that question? And then she said, i don't, never forget this. She said, no, I don't, I don't think that's why. She said, Eric, sometimes I wonder if women will go to heaven too. So fortunately, I didn't say anything in response except three words, tell me more, tell me more about that. And then she began to describe her her life growing up in church and how um, she'd heard many stories, many biblical stories growing up, but nearly all of those stories were about men, at least the ones that she'd heard. She hadn't heard that many stories about women and great women of faith or the unique issues and challenges that women in our world face and how God cares for, interacts with, has compassion for those specific issues. In some ways, it's a reflection of the world and the time in which she grew up in. But, but to her faith, it was a man's world. Like James Brown saying, you know, this was a man's world. And she really doubted. This is a woman who's been in church her whole life. She really doubted that God cared specifically for what happens in the lives of women. She got it. Now, I don't remember what I said. What I wish I had done was I had taken her to this story in Mark 5. Because really, this is a story for women. And I'm going to talk to our women today. Now, there's a message in this story for men, and I'm going I'm to draw that message out specifically for the men who have women in their lives, which is all men. So there's a message here for men, too, but really this is a story for women. And I know that there are unique challenges that you face as women. I just want to own that I don't understand all of those challenges well because I'm a man. And yet what's fascinating about these, this story is that in this story about the faith and the issues and the struggles of two women, one of those issues being very feminine, Jesus still comes very close to these women. But his understanding of what you go through is not limited in the way that mine is. And his compassion For the issues that women face also knows no bounds. And I hope I can show that to you. If I was answering my friend, my sister back at Cottonwood today, I'd take her to Mark 5. Okay. So let's jump into the story. In this story, it starts with this crowd that's pressing in around Jesus. You may remember from one of our sermons back in Mark 3, at the very end of Mark 3, we have this image for the body of Christ, the people who are God's family, And Jesus says, those are the people who are circled around me, pressing in on me with me, Christ, at the center of that circle. And that's how this story starts. So Jesus is surrounded by his family, his people. Now, if you think about why Jesus comes to earth, to save the world, okay, to start a kingdom revolution, not a revolution in the sense they were expecting to start a revolution of the mind and of the heart. If you're thinking that that's his purpose, then this is a good moment to leverage the influence he has in this scene to do something great. This is a teachable moment. This is a revolutionary moment. He's got all these people circled around him, pressing in on him. This is a big Jesus moment. But Jesus gets word in the middle of his big moment that there is a little girl who is sick. And instantly, he leaves his big moment and heads for that little girl. What we read is that Jairus comes into the circle, tells Jesus about his daughter's illness, and immediately Jesus went. So, Jesus went. That's what we see in verse 24. Now, if you are an adept Bible reader, student of the Bible, you're looking at your Bible right now and you're saying, Eric, that's not exactly what it says. What it actually says is so Jesus went with him. With him. Which is to say maybe the reason that Jesus is responding instantly to this young girl's need is because she's got a powerful advocate who's a guy, a man. And if you look at these two stories side by side, the bread on the outside, which is the story about the young girl, the meat in the middle, which is the story about the older of the two women. There's a lot in these two stories that's similar. First of all, they're both women. In fact, the the young girl, I keep calling her a girl, she's 12 years old. In In her world, she's a woman at 12. She's old enough to be married. Okay, so it's really a story about two women. This is two stories about women. That's one of their commonalities. Uh, The number 12 plays a role in both stories. The the older of the two women has been sick for 12 years, exactly the same length of time that the younger woman has been alive, 12 years. Both stories are about health issues affecting these women, and in some ways, both stories are about the power of death in the lives of these two women. Uh, the, The daughter, eventually death, steals the life from her body, and the older of the two women, it is this power of death that is ruining her body, that is stealing the life out of her while she's still living. In some ways, both stories are about the power of death and the life of two women. But the main difference between the two stories is that the younger woman has a powerful man in her life who's advocating for her, who's defending her. You know, Jairus is a synagogue leader, so not only is he a man, he's a big deal man, He's the kind of man that people come to when they want things to happen. He's the kind of man with power. You notice what Jairus does in this story. Jairus walks into the center of this circle. Everybody's surrounding Jesus. You see what he does? When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. It means he falls to his knees and he pleads with him. He's begging Jesus for the sake of his daughter. He's groveling for the sake of his daughter. Um, Rush, you got the camera? I'm going to get on my knees. Do you want to go with me? All right, can you see me here? Just because I want you to kind of capture how awkward this is. He's down like this. He's a man. He's a big deal. He's the kind of guy that people come to when they want things done, when they need power. That big deal man gets on his knees and begins to grovel at the feet of Jesus. He's pleading to Jesus for the sake of the woman and his life, absolutely emptying himself of all the power he has. You can imagine everybody who's standing around because they're all standing, they're looking down at him and they're like, this is awkward. Guys aren't supposed to do this. Somebody get this guy up. This is so weird. Guys and powerful guys don't do this. And yet Jairus is doing that for the woman in his life. You know, I said there was a message for, for men in this story. You know, I, I, we all enter the gospel stories in different places. We find somebody that we connect with in those stories. And I'll, I'll admit, I don't connect well with um, the, the young woman in this story. I don't connect with the older woman in this story. I connect with Jairus. And I'll tell you, I've been asking myself the last few weeks as I've thought about this story. Do I do for the women in my life what Jairus does for the woman in his You know, in this Me Too era, what we've seen is so many men who use their power at the, sake, um, sorry, at the expense of the women in their life rather than for the sake of the women in their life. And here's this image of a man falling down on his knees, emptying himself of power so that the woman in his life is lifted up. I'm going to ask myself, am I praying for my wife like that? Am I on my knees every day for the women I work with, for the women of this church? You know, we've got this image of manliness in our time, and like being a man is like eating raw meat and crushing cans and driving a truck and stuff. What if being a man is every day being on your knees for the women in your life, lifting them up? There's a woman, uh, sorry, a man here, a man and woman here, a couple, he's in his 70s, he's got rheumatoid arthritis, so it's really hard for him to do, but I meet with him pretty regular, and he says... Every morning, he gets down on his knees and it hurts. First thing he does, he rolls out of bed, he gets down on his knees, and he prays for his wife while she's still sleeping. Okay, you know maybe that's what manhood actually is. Oh, I'm getting sidetracked. This is this is a sermon for women. My bad, my bad. All right, let's jump back in. Maybe this man's advocacy plays a role in Jesus' decision to and believe everything he's doing for the sake of this young woman. Okay, But we know it's not the primary reason that Jesus goes to heal this young woman. And that's because of what we see next. When this other woman, this woman who's older, reaches out and touches him secretly, desperately. And when she does... Jesus prioritizes her healing over his mission or this man's request. Suddenly, her healing is his greatest priority. I remember what Jesus says later on in Mark 10. You know this passage. He says that many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Well, that's what we see in this story. This is a woman, this woman we see who crawls on her feet to touch the hem of Jesus' cloak. This is a woman who is last in her world. Let's just talk about that. Let's be really honest. Why is she a last kind of person? Well, she's a last kind of person because in this world, she's a woman. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. In this world, that means she is second class. It's not only that she's a woman, but that she has a sickness, a condition that alienates her. makes her unclean. It means everybody has to stay away from her. She's by herself. That moves her further down the ladder. Not only that, she's poor. We're told that she has spent everything she has to get better. It hasn't worked. She has no money left. So she's lowered on the ladder again. And unlike the girl in this story, she does not have a powerful man advocating for her. She's either single or widowed or her husband has given up on her because he is nowhere to be seen when his wife has a chance at healing. She is a last kind of person. And all of a sudden, like that, she's a first kind of person. When she gets close to Jesus, she moves dramatically from last to first. And she can't even believe it. She is so used to being a last kind of person then when she touches Jesus' cloak and is instantly healed, and Jesus looks around and he says, what was that? Who did that? She thinks she's in trouble. This is not something you're supposed to do if you're a woman, especially if you're an unclean woman, to touch a man, to put a man like that at risk, a powerful man, an influential man. She thinks she is busted. She comes forward, to look what it says, with fear and trembling, full of fear and trembling. She's been a last person so long, she can't imagine in any world where she would suddenly be first. Can't imagine that. You see what Jesus says to her though? Look at this. Daughter. Daughter, your faith has healed you. He calls her daughter. And this is why we read those two stories together. You got the bread, the stories of the daughter with the meat, the story of the older woman in the middle, which is to say, this is a story about two daughters. And Jesus apparently feels about this woman like Jairus feels about his daughter, which is to say, he wants her to know there is nothing I will not do so that you will be healed. He wants this woman to have life like Jairus wants his daughter to have life. He calls her daughter. You know, um, if I was sitting with that sister from Cottonwood Church of Christ again today, um, and I think about her often, she made Lindsay and I a quilt that's still on our bed today when we got married. If I was sitting with her today, I'd take her to Mark 5. And I'd say, I know you have not heard these stories. I know you have felt like a last kind of person, but to Jesus, you are his daughter. And in his kingdom, in his world, you're not last, you're first. Uh, Journalist Claire Kane Miller has been doing this series during the pandemic. Some of you have seen it. The series is following the lives of women and specifically mothers during the pandemic and how their lives have been affected. And she talks about in this series and story after story, the ways that women have have borne some of the load, maybe a disproportionate amount of the load, especially in the family's home life during this really difficult time. And that's not true across the board. And she acknowledges that. And She talks about the ways that many men have really stepped up in this time too. But she said this about women. She was interviewed about the series. And she said this, she said, I hear from people I interview, women, and I feel that myself. That women stepped up. The mother stepped up. And at this point, a year in, there's just this deep feeling we've been forgotten about. Maybe you don't you don't feel that way. I hope you don't. But I, you know, when I read something like this, what I have to do is I have to stop and I, I have to say, like, how, how do our women feel right now in this world? Dealing with things and challenges that are often uniquely feminine, sometimes not, but carrying those loads in ways that are different than men carry them. How do they feel right now? I remember nine years ago. Yeah. I was just brand new here. It was my first week here, and somebody else was scheduled to speak at Camp Highland one night. And that friend of mine had a conflict come up and he calls me and he asks me to go speak kind of last minute that night at Camp Highland. So I I rushed and I put something together and honestly, I don't remember the sermon at all. Um, Although I'm sure it changed everyone's life there. And um, I don't even remember the passage I was preaching from. But what I remember, I'll never forget this, is that after I preached that night, there was a woman from this church. She was a counselor at Camp Highland. You would all know her know her well. And she came up to me and she was in tears. And it wasn't something I said. It was something in the passage that I had pointed to, that I had read that night, that she saw for the first time. And she began to describe the way that that, that word had, had opened up a piece of her that had spoken to a piece of her that she hadn't talked about in 20 years. And she told me 20 years ago, I had a late-term miscarriage. And um, ever since then, I've felt guilt and sorrow. And I've, I've walked with many couples who've gone through miscarriage. I know that that affects both the dad and the mom, but it affects them in different ways. And for her, this was something that happened in her body. And it was like her body had not been able to protect this gift that God had given her. And she hadn't forgiven herself for that for 20 years. That's the kind of pain a man is never going to feel. Which is not to say men don't have their own problems and challenges and heartaches and sorrows, but that's something unique to our women. And it's something that even I, as as a minister, can't fully understand and can't begin to mend or heal. But the message of this story is that, ladies, there is nothing you will experience in your life that Jesus Christ can't heal. Jesus is not an ordinary man. (laughs) Jesus is not limited, like your preacher is limited. Jesus comes close to these women, and he heals what ails them. Indeed, after he heals this older of the two women and this uniquely feminine issue, he goes and he he finds the young woman, the daughter, who's dead at this point. And we're told that he takes her by the hand, which is remarkable because she's dead and she's unclean and Jesus shouldn't be touching her. Not only is she unclean, she's a female. Jesus should not be touching her. And Jesus takes her by the hand and he says, get up. Young woman, get up. Uh, My sister from Cottonwood had had not seen, as she had grown up, the ways that women's stories testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the way that their stories declared the good news of Jesus in the world. Well, sister, look right here. Because for centuries, for millennia since, there are at least these two women, and really many more in scripture. But these two women whose stories have declared the central gospel message that there is one power in the world great enough to overcome death, and it is the power of the love of God in Jesus Christ. And these two women, their stories, have preached that story for millennia. These women. Remember back during the summer, we talked about COVID-19 from a biblical perspective and a I use this metaphor for the way that the Bible helps us to think about Scripture. This isn't a biblical metaphor, It's it's a contemporary metaphor to try to make sense of a biblical scene or idea. We talked about the world as a computer system. And that you imagine you're on your computer, you get an email and it's from somebody you don't know with an attachment and you, despite your best judgment, open that attachment and you unleash this virus in your computer. And suddenly it's not just your email that doesn't work, Microsoft Word doesn't work, Excel, iTunes, none of it's working because this virus has corrupted the whole system. And that's really the way that scripture thinks about the power of sin and death in our world. That when we look around and we see the system broken and flawed and we see illness, like the illness of these two women in the story when we see death and war and cancer and all kinds of problems, what those things confirm for us is that the system is broken. There's a virus in the system, and it makes us desperate for the one who can fix it. But one of the things we don't acknowledge as readily as we should, and it's worth pointing out this morning, is that that virus, the virus of sin and death in our world, sometimes affects men and women differently. And I think about the condition that the older of these two women has in this story, a uniquely feminine issue. It reminds me of breast cancer. How many of our sisters here at this church have battled that? You know, we think about the ways that the virus of sin and death is expressed in the lives of our women, that that brokenness shows up in their lives. I think about things like postpartum depression. A lot of our women have struggled with. I think about the way that the Bible talks about from Old to New Testament about the requirement of the body of Christ, the the family of God, to care for widows. Why does the Bible go on and on about taking care of widows except that there's something unique about being a woman alone in this world? You know, um, I think about uh, women in the workplace who for a long time have been underpaid or overlooked. And I think about as we've learned and as we're reckoning with in the Me Too movement, the way that so many women have been sexually exploited. I think all these things testify to the unique way that women's lives bear witness to our need for a savior. And if we don't tell that story, we're overlooking over half the church, over half. Uh, a couple Sundays ago after church, um, a mom came up to me and she, she said, I want to tell you this story. She said, my, my daughter, who's a senior, she's been studying with the gospel of Mark with this friend of hers. And I didn't know about this. She said, this friend's a little bit younger. She said, I didn't even know about this. She said, in fact, I, I come home one night and this, this girl's over at our house and I love having her at our house, but we needed to have dinner and, and my daughter had homework to do. And I, I came to my daughter, I said, don't you, you know, don't you think it's time to go home? And she said, well, mom, she can't go home yet. And I was like, yeah, she probably needs to go home. She said, we haven't done our Bible study. And I was like, what? <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess she could stay. <laughs> you know, these two women are studying the gospel of Mark together. These two daughters of Christ. And as they're going along in Mark, following us each week, I was thinking about them when I wrote this sermon. Because I want that senior here at Highland, that young woman, I want her to be able to look at her friend this week and say, this story is for you. But this is not a man's world that Jesus is for you and I hope she hears it. I hope that every daughter of this church knows for Christ you are not last, you're first.